Good morning. I am so excited to be at my church home. You know, you guys probably may not all know that, but this is what I call church home. I'm just the worst member in the church because all I do is do electronic deposits of checks, and then every once in a while I get to come to church. <laughs> so anyway, I, I wanted to come this morning because, well, mainly because Aaron invited me, and that was kind of a blessing. He, he told me exactly what I had to preach this morning. I am to introduce who's your one. And uh, he sent me an outline, all the PowerPoints, everything I was supposed to preach. And, and so I'm not preaching that outline. <laughs> but I don't know whose outline it is. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. So I'm sure someone else has preached something similar to this before. But I wanted to, to before we really jump into who's your one, I wanted us to think about who you are. Who are you this morning, right? That's more important than who's your one right at this moment is who are you? Who are you today? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Did you know the word disciple is used 269 times in the ESV? 269 times. Christian is used only three times. And when I think about that, I think about how the word disciple is often used and portrayed in the New Testament. You know, sometimes a disciple is someone I'd call a casual listener. Jesus had a lot of casual listeners. They would come along and follow him, and they'd be excited about coming and seeing the crowd, the music. No, they didn't have music, but... All the stuff that followed Jesus, they wanted to be there, right? They wanted to see him heal people and feed people. Then there were some of the people who followed Jesus that were classified or sometimes called disciples who were what I'd classify, they were convinced listeners. They had this idea, I believe Jesus' story. I, I kind, of, kind of buy into what he's talking about. I even believe he, he is who he says he is. And they were kind of convinced followers of Jesus. But now there's a third category in the, in the New Testament that we see often. And they were the committed followers of Jesus. These are the ones that we know for certain what they look like because after Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, his ascension, there were about 120 of them left, right? The same Jesus that had thousands following him earlier now only has 120 committed people who are actually sitting together doing what he told them to do, Right? 120 out of the thousands that followed Jesus earlier. Here are these 120 committed. I wonder, have we today created a culture where it's okay to be a Christian while not being a disciple? Have we relegated following Jesus Christ, being radical in your discipleship to these crazy ones? Those are the weird ones, right? The ones that are radically following Jesus, and the rest of us are just Christians. Well, I don't think that's biblically correct. 
And I want to share with you what Jesus says in the same passage that Aaron told me I was supposed to preach from. (laughs) So grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 18. I think we got that up on the screen. So if you don't have your Bible, however, if you do not have your Bible and do not have an electronic device that you can follow along with, you're going to miss out on some of this message, okay? I hope you have one, and I hope you bring one next Sunday when Aaron preaches, because you might need it as well. But here's where we're going to start reading from verse 18. So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left their boat and their father And they followed him. Now, Jesus comes on the scene here in this passage. It's kind of an interesting story because this is probably, I mean, think about this for a minute. The way we read this, it almost looks like this Jesus' first time ever meeting these guys. And these guys go, oh, let's go. But probably this is not his first time meeting these disciples. In fact, Many scholars believe John chapter 1 kind of describes Jesus' first meeting with many of his disciples. So this is probably the second, third time that Jesus is actually meeting these people. So it's not like this really crazy thing where somebody just goes, okay. I mean, that just looks weird, doesn't it, to me? To just kind of get up. I don't even know who this guy is. I'm going to follow him. No, this is probably the second, third time that they've heard Jesus speak. And now he's coming along and he says to them, come on, follow me. But I want to put this in a context for just a moment. Because this this is kind of interesting. You have to kind of put this passage in a context this morning to really understand what it's all about. You see, right here in this passage, we see that John the Baptist had just gotten arrested in verse 12. Do you see that? He says, now he heard that John... This is, that he is Jesus, had heard that John had been arrested and he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by Nazareth. And so Jesus withdrew and, and right now in this context, everything is laid together with John's message. If you, this would be a great study for most of you and I'll take you through a little tour of this this morning. But The book of Matthew is all about this message, the message that Jesus pulls from John the Baptist. Because look at verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let us pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning about what it means to be a disciple. I pray that you give us fresh eyes to see and understand the truth that's located right here. 
Father, may you help us to see what it means to follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You see, in this passage, we see a few different things that that jump out at us about what it means to be a disciple. And it's tied to this idea of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the first thing I want you to notice is that you and I, if we're a disciple of Jesus, the way Jesus preaches, we ought to be totally abandoned to the glory of God or the glory of Christ. And I want you to pay attention to what we saw there in verse 17. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that is a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Matthew. Over and over and over again, he comes back to that. So let's go on a quick tour and put this all in context of how many times you actually see words like this. And I'm going to have you help me with this a little bit, okay? So this is not casual listening this morning. So I want you to think about this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to, is Carl here? Carl Brown? I'm going to pull a Carl on you. Carl's always teaching us how to do inductive Bible study, right? You're supposed to circle, put squares, triangles on everything. I'm going to suggest you might want to circle these little passages that say the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Because they're important for us this morning. You see, right here in chapter 5, Listen, in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? Oh, you guys are not doing it very well. Come on, help me out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. And so, right off the bat, we see those who have the kingdom of heaven are poor in spirit, right? Those who are experiencing the kingdom of heaven. Now, When Jesus uses this idea of kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, he's not talking about a place, by the way. When Jesus uses it, he's talking about a rule and a reign in the hearts of men. Is Jesus in charge of you today? And so then, let's go to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, righteousness, for theirs is the heaven. I told you this is active listening. You got to stay with me here. If you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to experience it, you're going to what? Be persecuted. Man, it's not going to be a pretty thing all the time. Now, go to chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus uses a couple little stories. I call them parables. To tell us what it's like to inherit the kingdom of God. What you and I would do to have the kingdom of God. What would you and I give up to have the kingdom of heaven? And he tells us exactly right here. Jesus tells us with two little stories in this story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Ooh, isn't this cool? And then with joy he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Wow. And when he found one great of great value, he went away and he sold everything 
He had, and he bought that one big pearl. Do you see the picture that Jesus is portraying in these two parables? This, this parable picture that he's giving us? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is worth so much. Do you get it? It's worth so much, I'd sell everything for it. I'd sell it all just to buy the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's how valuable it is to me. Look at Matthew chapter 19. I told you I'm going to take you on this little tour of Matthew. Chapter 19, verse 21. This is the story of the rich guy, the rich young guy, as, as some would say, the rich young ruler, right? He's this man of great wealth, great possessions, and he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I do to inherit the kingdom? What do I got to do to be saved, Jesus, right? Do you catch that? What do I have to do? In verse 21, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your stuff, your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, then come follow me. Give everything away, he says. Verse 22, and when the rich young guy heard this, what was he? He was sad because he had a lot of stuff. You know, honestly, every single one of us in this room has a whole lot of stuff, right? You got a whole lot more stuff than most people anywhere else in the world. You got more stuff than they do. So the sad part is, is we could relate to the rich young ruler right here. Because we got a lot of stuff. And so here we have this picture that's being portrayed of how we should be willing to abandon everything for the kingdom. Do you get that from what Jesus is saying? You following? This is yes. This is no. Well, just to convince you a little bit more, I want to get you to go to another book of the Bible. Go to Luke chapter 9. How am I doing on time? Myra told me she loses track of time. I'm going to try to keep track of time and not keep you too long through your Sunday school. But I want you to catch this because in Luke chapter 9, I want you to look at, at, at verse 23 because it's a really amazing thing. Jesus has got a crowd of people following him right here in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And then he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father of the holy angels. Wow. So, Come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You lose your life for the kingdom. Go to verse 57 of that same chapter. There's some guys, they come to Jesus, and they're eager to be his disciple. We want to follow you, they say. They say, come on, we want to follow you and look at what he says in verse 57. 
After they come and say, we want to follow you wherever you, want to, wherever you go, Jesus. And he says, well, foxes have holes, but, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then another guy follow, says, I want to follow you. <laughs> Jesus says, follow me. And then he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father and let me take care of my family. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. <laughs> that was pretty harsh. In verse 61, another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And the, the people, I guess he was kind of saying the people I love, right? Let me go back and kind of get people prepared for this thing I'm doing. And Jesus replied, he says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying abandoning everything, right? Abandoning family, even at the time they need you most, at the funeral, right? <laughs> I mean, do you catch the, the, the extent to which Jesus is challenging this young guy? My family needs me. I got to go back and bury my dad. And he says, no, abandon everything. Let me show you one more passage, and then we'll move on, because I've got like all these other points to make, right? You're all sitting here going, how is he ever going to get done? Look at chapter 14 of Luke. I want you to see, look, look at verse 25. In this context, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and when we come to verse 25, there's a large crowd of casual and convinced followers following Jesus, a big crowd of them. And, and, he, and so Jesus, in verse 25, he sees this crowd, and do you see what he says? He says, anyone who comes after me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brother, his sisters... Yes, even his own life cannot be to my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow. Are you getting a glimpse of how intense Jesus is about discipleship? It's no wonder everybody kind of turned away. And there were only 120 left in the room. His message is a little hard. You see, what, what he's saying here, go back to Matthew chapter 4. I don't want to get us too lost. What he's saying to us here in this passage is, you know what? We need to deny our comfort. Is there an, another slide? Comfort? Yeah, we need to leave our comfort. We need to leave not only our comfort and what's comfortable, but what's the next one? <laughs> he says, if you're really following me, you need to be able to leave your career What's the next one? Leave your stuff. Wow. You know, and I think we look at this list and we think, well, you know, they were just fishermen, right? It wasn't a big deal. They weren't, you know, back in their day, a fisherman was not a bad job. I mean, we look at it and we go, you know, they were stinky and fishy all day long, but you know what? These guys actually had 
assets. They had a boat and nets. They had a lot compared to many. They weren't peasants of their day. They were small business owners. And they would lose something. They had been doing life the way they'd always been doing it, right? I mean, let's just keep doing it the way we always have. I'm comfortable. I've got my stuff. I've got my career, the thing that I've worked for all my life. And that's something that I think we as modern Christians could learn from these guys. They had something, too, that they could lose. So I want to just throw out one more thought here. You know, as Christians, in fact, the dark places, those North Omaha places, those dangerous places in the world, it's not a question of whether I'd be willing to go anymore if I'm really abandoned to Jesus. You know why? We don't ask, is it safe? We ask, does God want me to go? Does that make sense? Everything about our culture promotes self-interest, what I want, preserving my life, taking care of what's mine, taking care of myself, and Jesus comes along and he says, really? He says, don't I deserve first place? It's countercultural. Matthew chapter 4 kind of dashes all of our cultural ideas in one quick mark of a pen. And I know some of you are sitting there going, Dallas, you're crazy. This is crazy talk. You're just, you're just telling us to do this? No, I'm not. This is just what Jesus is talking about. Remember that. But our comfort our careers, and our whole lives, whether they're plumbers, as teachers, as a nurse, is now, if we are disciples of Jesus, are now under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Think about that. If you are truly a disciple of Jesus, now his hand is on your career, your comfort, and your life. Every part of it. The purpose of your salvation, folks, according to what I read in Scripture, was not to save you from your sins. Let me rephrase that one more time. The purpose of your salvation is not to save you from your sin. He saved us from our sin to make His glory, His greatness, His grace, His majesty on display for all the world to see that Jesus Christ is great and glorious. That's why he saved you, to make much of himself, not to make much for you. He did it for his glory. And it's hard for us to sometimes really grasp that because we're so enculturated that it's all about me today. It's all about me. I'm convinced that if I were to begin to look through the entire scripture, and I have kind of looked through it a little few times, that what I'd learn as I did it was that discipleship means following Jesus, following Jesus. Isn't that kind of revolutionary? <laughs> and 
that we would learn that biblical disciple-making is totally God-centered and not Dallas-centered, but God-centered, Jesus-centered. Because the purpose of my salvation was to make much of Jesus in my life. We are called to be disciples who go and make more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. The purpose of our salvation is to show the grace and the mercy of Christ to the people that are around you and I every day and reproduce people's lives for God's glory throughout all of Nebraska and to the very ends of the world. That's our purpose. See our motivation? See our goal? Everything revolves around him. Now, I spent a lot of time kind of, kind of setting this up to tell you that the whole purpose of your salvation, your whole purpose of life is Jesus. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus. But also, there's this, not only are we to be totally abandoned for the glory of Christ, but we're to be totally dependent on the grace of Christ. And we're going to move really fast. These last points, I'm going to go really, really fast. Just stick with me and remember your assignment. Now, right here, it gets kind of exciting, because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he happened upon some guys, four guys, and we see him call them to himself. And he says what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Amen? That was an amen. Amen? Guys, stick with me. I want to make sure you're still alive. I know I'm throwing a lot at you. But here it is. I mean, he's, he says to these guys, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he starts these guys on this process of being disciple makers for the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he starts them on this process. But I want you to notice what happens. Do you see what happened here? Jesus comes along the Sea of Galilee and he says, hey guys, I choose you. I choose you. You and none of these guys could be chosen for who they were. None of them were really smart. None of them were really spiritual. None of them had really good jobs. None of them were the elite of the elite. These were just some ordinary people like the vast majority of us in this room. And God went out of his way to walk that path and he chose them. That's grace. But the second thing we notice in this passage is this. Not only did he choose them, and he chooses you, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he chose you for this path. But not only does he choose us, but he then empowers us. I mean, think about the story here. From this moment on, from Matthew chapter 4 all the way to the book of Acts. He chooses these guys. And as soon as the book of Acts comes, he empowers them. In fact, throughout Matthew and, and these gospels, he's empowering these guys to do crazy stuff. But think about Peter. Peter's this guy with a foot-shaped mouth. Some of you are going to get that when you get home. But Peter's this guy with his foot-shaped mouth, and, and, and he's the same guy that at the day of Pentecost, he stands, 
He stands up before three, I don't know how big the crowd was, but 3,000 people come to know Jesus. When he starts, when he preaches the first Christian sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Is that a cool? That's 2,500% growth. That's what I call church growth. That's what I call church planting. Wow, isn't that crazy? 2,500% growth of the Christian movement. And so Jesus empowers these guys right up until this day. Jesus is doing this amazing work in just ordinary guys like you and me. He empowers them. What if God, what if God were calling you? He doesn't say, come follow me and make fishers of men, does he? Did you catch that? I'm picking you because you are a great speaker. You've seen me preach here before. I almost fall off the stage. <laughs> Amen? You guys remember that? That's, you guys will never forget that. I can't believe you guys. Could you just like have some grace and forget I mean, but God uses ordinary people, not because they speak well or or, are capable or even not clumsy. He chooses them and he empowers them for his glory. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. And that's when he gives you all the compassion, the humility, and the goodness that you need to go and be about his business. I think today, some of you have been listening to the wrong messages over and over again, and someone's told you, you can't. I can't do it. I don't know enough of the Bible. I can't. I can't go. I can't do. I can't be used by the king. And you know what? I'm going to tell you a little secret. That is a lie from the pit of hell itself. Because you can in Christ's power. Because that's what he did. He chose you, and now he wants to empower you. It's in your weakness that he's made strong, the Bible tells us. And today, from this point on, at Southview Baptist Church, I should never hear, I can't, ever again. Oh, I can't go to, I can't go to Greece because it's too expensive. My dad has the cattle of a thousand hills. What about yours? I ain't got, because I don't have enough faith to believe that God does. I can't go to my neighbor and talk to them about Jesus, because I may not have all the words I need to say. That's where God shows up. Isn't that cool? You just go and talk to them about Jesus and say, hey, come to church with me. I've been praying for you. That's when God shines. You know what? God wants to make you trophies of his grace and goodness. Wouldn't you like to be on God's mantle? A treasure? One day, we're going to all be in front of Jesus and we're going to be able to lay our crowns at his feet to, be his, to bring glory and honor to our king. Now, next one. Not only this, but we need total devotion to the person of Christ. You see, Jesus says, follow me, And we have got to see 
how personal this is today. This is a very personal thing. You see, Jesus says, come follow me. It's a personal invitation. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. You don't come to church every Sunday morning to have Aaron give you a set of rules to help you do your life better next week. I'm going to be a better person because I You came to live my life. No. You came to church to praise the Lord, and then you got to hear what God is saying and wants to say to you. Isn't that cool? There's some implications in this, in this personal invitation. First is this. You and I can do away with legalism. All that legal ritual that we have in our lives, it's not about that anymore. Now it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about a bunch of rules. You know what? You don't get up in the morning and have quiet time because you were told to. You get up because today I want to meet Jesus. I want to hang out with Jesus. You know, it really changes Jesus' comments in, in John chapter uh, 15, where he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. When you realize that if you love Jesus, you want to spend time with him. Amen? So we do away with all that legalism. We're free from legalism in our life. And then we can focus on relationships now. Our relationship with our neighbors. Those people in our lives. We can now give them Jesus through a relationship with us who have Jesus in us. I heard a preacher once who said, the Christ in me greets the Christ in you. And the Christ in you wants to have a relationship with the Christ in all of these people in this room. That's why we have Bible study, Sunday school, so we have a relationship, not just so we can study the Bible, but we can have a relationship with one another. And all those people outside this building, you know what? They want a relationship with Jesus. They just don't know it. And you are the closest thing they will ever see, possibly, to Jesus, is you. The next thing is, we need to be totally trusting in the authority of Christ. Let me give you a real quick synopsis of Luke chapter 5, which is a parallel to this one, this Matthew chapter 4. I don't want you to turn there, I just want you to listen real quickly. Because in this parallel, the disciples are out fishing. Do you remember this story? They're out fishing all night. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're sweaty. They stink like fishing nets, but they didn't catch anything. And they're coming in early in the morning, and Jesus greets them and says, go fishing. Are you serious, Jesus? But they obediently follow him. Did you notice that in the story? Regardless of all their tiredness and all of their pain, their backs hurt, and they stink. (laughs) <laughs> and Jesus says, go fishing. And, and what do they do? They go out in their boat, and he goes, throw your nets down. And they throw their nets down. And after a while, the nets are so full, they have to call everybody, come on, come on, there's too many fish. And you know what happens? In that very moment, all of a sudden, they learn a lesson about Jesus that you and I need to learn. You know what it is? Jesus knows more about fishing than I do. Amen? He knows more about fishing than all those disciples who were fishermen. He knew all, no, way more about fish. He knew more about fishing. He knew more about fishermen than they do. And God has the authority. And you know what? You and I tend to do this. I'm going to say this one more time. We tend to relegate our lives. I'm a, I'm a teacher. This is my teacher job. 
And here's Jesus. He, I meet him on Sunday. I'm a lawyer. I'm a plumber. Plumber. Got to go this way. Plumber. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. And then here's my Jesus thing. I do that on the weekends, right? But all of a sudden, I realize, you know what? If I learn anything from that story in Luke chapter 5, it's that Jesus knows more about being a nurse than you do. He knows more about being a lawyer than you do. He knows more about being whatever, a plumber, a sock salesman, a teacher. He knows more about it. He knows more about feet than you do. Amen? Do you get it? And it's not just about your work, but it also relates to your home. You know what, guys? This is reassuring to me, especially this week. God knows more about my wife than I do. Hallelujah. Don't you find them sometimes confusing? Wives, don't you find your husbands a little bizarre? A little hard to understand. But thank God he knows more about our spouses than we... Children, young people, do you ever wonder about your parents? Amen? They're a little nuts sometimes, but praise the Lord, God knows more about your parents than you do. And, your, and parents, he knows more about your kids. And so that means that I can trust his authority in every area. Now let's go to the last point, because here's the deal. <laughs> I always say that, here's the deal. Total obedience to the ministry or the missions of Christ. We know the mission, right? You've already heard it in the passage. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The strategy here is that he's going to make you a fisher of men. Right? You're going to go and make disciples. You're going to go and make disciples. But how can Jesus do all of this? Right? I mean, he says, come follow me to these goofy guys on the beach. And he says, I'm going to pour into you all I know, all I can share while I'm here with you. And the point was, is I'm going to pour it into you so that you can pour it into the next group of guys and the next group of guys and the next group of guys until 2,000 years later. It's a movement. And you and I are sitting here because of someone's faithfulness to the mission. Do you catch that? To go and make disciples, to be fishers of men. I say, obey the plan. That's what I'm going to tell you today. The ultimate question is, will you and I obey the plan? I'm going to tell you right now, this is guaranteed, based on the word of God. He will bless a church that is giving itself to making disciples of the nations. Do you want your church to being one of those kind of places? then be about the plan. And if we obey, he will bless it. You have surrendered every right to determine the direction of your life if you are a disciple of Jesus. That's an expensive cost, right? And I wanted to say that, that there's a cost to being a disciple, isn't there? Jesus is actually in control of my life, my career, my comfort, my life. My everything. But I want to ask you, what would happen if I don't? If I don't do what God's called me to do? Think about that just for a moment. If I don't give myself to following Jesus and letting others see Jesus in me, 
If I just sit back and coast, how does it affect my children, my family? I've secured my eternity. I can just coast now, right? I can just take it easy. I'm going to heaven. And we miss out on the power and the the glory of the presence of God in our life. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the earth. And you miss out on that promise right there. We miss out on our big chance, on the abundance that Jesus has promised us in our life. But it also costs Lincoln. Have you ever thought about it? If you and I are not about making disciples, it costs Lincoln. If we just keep coasting, I mean, if we just keep putting so much of our effort in, say, Nebraska football, hey, they won, amen? It wasn't pretty, but they won. But they might win next week, and they might win the next week, and they might win the next week. They might. They might have an over 500 season. They might even have a winning season, go to a bowl game. Folks, isn't that awesome? That would be so much fun for all of us, wouldn't it? But if we'd invest that much effort in the kingdom, in the king, man, can you imagine what Lincoln would look like? For a few days, we might celebrate a bowl victory, but we'll spend eternity with all of our family and friends and neighbors in heaven if we are followers of Jesus. But you know what? It's not only to count the cost here and and the cost of not being a disciple here, but you know what? There are 47 million people this year who will be born. I looked this up. 47 million people will be born into an unreached people group. 47 million people this year. Next year, it'll probably be 48 million The next year after that, 49 million. The next year after that, almost 50 million people will be born into an unreached people group in the the world somewhere. And so hundreds of millions of people will be born into a place, into a place where they'll never have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Hundreds of millions. And that shouldn't be. And we sit here in our comfortable seats at Southview Baptist Church, thousands of miles away, we never think more about them. I want to give you an invitation. I want to invite you, I want to invite you to be ready to take a step beyond a casual listener or even a convinced listener to being a sold-out, committed follower of Jesus Christ this morning. And I want to do it in a very practical way. I, I like practical sermons where you actually have to do something to get involved, right? I want to invite you right now to join Jesus as a committed follower, okay? And you don't have to be there right now. I mean, you could be just convinced today that Jesus is who he says he is. That's okay. That's where the disciples were probably when they first heard Jesus say, come follow me. That's a great place to be. I'm just inviting you to come. Join the journey this morning. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. The worship team's going to make their way up here. And as they do, I want to give you this invitation to trust Jesus. To not just believe in 
the facts about Jesus, not just come to church, but really be committed for Jesus. So I want to ask you to pray with me this prayer. God, I want to follow you, whatever that means. And I want you to make me a fisher of men. And I want to thank you, God, for your salvation, for forgiving me of my sins, for Jesus who died on that cross. And today, I want to share that glorious news to every single person I know. In Jesus' name I pray. I probably invited the worship team up here way too soon, but they can watch from behind because I want to show you a couple things because I want to give you some next steps. Not only do we need to make a commitment today to be followers of Jesus like this, but go ahead, go ahead, go give me all of them, give me all of them. So I want to ask you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, is there someone you know that isn't? See, being a disciple means I go and I get to fish, right, with Jesus? So I'm going to give you a little exercise. In your bulletin, you're going to find a little piece of paper, a little sticky note. And I want you to write down that one person in your life right now that maybe during my message you started thinking they don't know Jesus. And they live right here in my neighborhood or at my work And and God's just laid on my heart that I ought to be sharing the gospel with them in a simple way. Maybe it's just inviting them to church. Did you know, see, Aaron gave me a list of things I should highlight today. And this is really important. I think this is really good. Did you know Aaron, over the next few weeks, is going to highlight the questions that your lost friends really have through the next series of sermons on Jonah? Why not invite a friend who doesn't know Jesus or is far from God, who hasn't been to church in a while, and they really don't know why, who's your one? I want you to write down at least one name. Maybe you have five or six, but I want you to write down one name on that sticky note. And I want you to take it out of your bulletin because I know what you're going to do with your bulletin. You're going to file it in your Bible somewhere or in something. And I want you to stick it right to your phone because I know you're not going to lose your phone. No one's going to lose their phone today. It never happens. Have have they ever turned in a lost phone? Maybe once, twice. But most people come looking for it, right? So I want you to put that sticky note right on your phone, and I want you to start praying for that person every day. Who's your one? Second thing, how are you getting ready to go? I'm going to be working with the church here, and we're going to do a thing called multiply. And we're going to do a class on what it means to multiply as a disciple. And I want to invite people to come, be a part of that. It's going to start in October, from what I understand, and we want you to be able to be a part of that, be a part of a multiplication pipeline, be a part of what the disciples were with Jesus. And we want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and we want to go out and make disciples. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. So keep your ears open for that, okay? Multiplication pipeline. Then thirdly, when are you ready to go? So here's my practical tip, my practical invitation. Go to the next slide. We are living in an age of migration. Never before have so many people been on the move. In 2015, 1,005,000 
504 migrants entered Europe. The access point for most is through Greece, with its 16,000 kilometers of coastline, its proximity to Turkey, which is just kilometers from multiple Greek islands, make it a popular route of travel. But on their journey, something quite unexpected has occurred. Religious conversions and revival have broken out, especially amongst Muslims fleeing their war-torn countries. So join us as we meet the people who feed and clothe some of the most marginalized people in the world. Gather with the chosen outcasts as they come out of darkness and into light. Witness the miraculous. See the love of Christians toward people who were told Christians would hate them. Watch churches spring into action, entertaining strangers, showing hospitality, learning to reject hatred and fear. This is the story of God, gathering people and nations to himself in a crisis. I'm going to invite you to come on a mission trip with me. I'm inviting Nebraska, but especially my own church, to be a part of a trip. We're going to go to Greece, and we're going to work with some of those refugees, some of the people that if you were to watch that video, it's available on Vimeo or something, um, but if you were to watch that, that some of the people that are in this documentary will be the people that you work with directly and share Christ's love with Muslims fleeing terrible things in their country. I, I met a little girl there who had walked her blind father while they were bombing and shelling her city in Syria. She walks her blind father through streets that were crumbling and there were people who had been blown up and pieces of body parts and all of that, and she walked through that with her family, leading her father by the hand so that they could come to Greece. And she doesn't know why she lived. And I couldn't really tell her except for the fact that God loved her and that he wanted her to hear about his love. And that's the kind of opportunities you have when you go to Greece. Hundreds of thousands of people are migrating through there from the Middle East, a people group, a group of people from different people groups who have never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And you can go and share Christ's love with them in a real tangible way. And I want to invite you to go. We're going to go over Thanksgiving. So that's the invitation. Have you trusted Jesus? Did you pray that prayer with me today? Did you say, I want to be a fisher of men? And if you prayed that prayer, did you write down someone's name? And are you going to start praying for them? And then will you go one step further and go knock on their door or go to their cubicle at work and say, hey, how about come to church with me Sunday? My pastor's preaching on some of the questions that you and I probably already ask. And you probably find out the music's really good and the sermon will be life-giving. Would you invite somebody? And then would you... Pray about going with me to Greece. I want to ask you to stand as we sing an invitation. I'll be right here waiting if you want someone to pray with you.